Welcome to the Fit for the Future podcast, which helps you navigate this fast-changing world by bringing you ideas, information, interviews, and insights for being fit for the future. Here's your host, Gihan Pereira. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I've had an interesting time in the last couple of weeks. I've been speaking at events in Perth, Melbourne, Brisbane, the Gold Coast, and even Bangkok. And four of those were for the Bank of Queensland. And I was talking about digital disruption and social media for their business banking clients. And each of the presentations ended with a short question and answer session, which is sometimes happens, sometimes doesn't. But I always find them interesting because the audience questions give me a really good idea of what people are really interested in at the moment. What's, what's keeping them up at night? What are their main concerns? What are their aspirations? And so on. And I thought it was interesting that some of the concerns that people had uh, when they were thinking about the future were about leadership. Somebody asked about Donald Trump and the US election. There's a question about Brexit. Somebody else wanted to know how we'd cope with mass unemployment and what our leaders are going to do about it. So there's no question that there are a whole bunch of people, and not just business people, but people in general, who are crying out for leadership at a business level, at an industry level, at a national level, and maybe even at a global level. And uh, I do think it's interesting and a little bit sad that we see a lot of national leaders now who have messages which are about fear and worry and scare tactics. And I think this is true. Like Whatever your politics, if you look objectively, you'll notice that these are the tactics of Donald Trump talking about outside influence. Uh, Brexit, the, the leaders of Brexit, who had a number of issues, but a lot of it was against foreigners coming into Great Britain. Uh, Bill Shorten and his scare tactics about Medicare leading up to the last election. Pauline Hanson and her new target, the Muslims. And you may be wondering, is this the only way to make an impact now as a leader, especially at that national or global scale? Well, I can tell you, definitely not. There is another way. And I'm optimistic and I'm confident that we will find a space for smart, talented, savvy leaders with a positive message to get that message heard and to make a difference. And one of the people with this sort of message around leadership is Sally Anderson from Evolved Leadership in New Zealand. Sally travels the world talking about a new kind of leadership. And she's recently published a book called The Co-Creative Age, which is about exactly this kind of leadership. And I know this book in detail because I helped her publish it through my business book in a box service. And, and Sally has a completely different view of leadership from that of fear, scarcity and narrow minded thinking. I spoke with Sally recently about this concept of evolved leadership and the co-creative age. So let's join that conversation now. Hello, this is Gihan Pereira, and today I'm speaking with Sally Anderson, and I'm really excited about this conversation because Sally's an expert in human and organizational transformation. And I know a lot of people say that, but she's lived it, she's worked in it, she's been immersed in it, and I particularly love that she does a lot of work with leaders. Her business is Evolved Leadership, she does keynote speaking, coaching, one-on-one, workshops, a whole leadership development programs, and she's got this hectic schedule uh, around the world, literally around the world, um, coming up next year. So I'm really, really thrilled to be having this conversation because I know she really does believe in being able to transform leaders, which means that they can transform teams, which means that they can transform the planet. And I don't think that I'd be overestimating her goal and her intent in saying that that her purpose is to transform the planet. So welcome, Sally. Great to have you here. An absolute privilege to be on the show today. Thank you. So I, I'm really keen to get into this idea of evolved leadership and co-creative leadership. But tell me a little bit of your story first, Sally. Yeah, where do you start, <laughs> <laughs> Um So my last assignment, I went out on my own as an entrepreneur 13 years ago. I was based in uh, New York, working about five blocks from Ground Zero, working with a group of executives. I was accountable for about 3,000 projects across two countries. I was based in the Netherlands and had accountability for the offices in Boston and New York. 
loved what I did corporately. Uh, my background's in belief, behavioural, cultural change. I was a program director, so fully-fledged in uh, project portfolio and program directorship, uh, bringing a projectised culture to organisations. Uh, I, I term it investment value management, looking at every single um, investment that you have in the business, mm. being able to have that real-time global um, uh, finger on the pulse, as it were. And being in America when September 11th hit uh, was a wake-up call for me. Millions of dollars would be spent on these change programs that I would implement, but I knew they'd never get a return on their investment three to five years after I walked out the door. That, to me, became an indictment on my value system. I was always viewed as controversial. Um, my reframe for that would be is that I just cared. I cared about the ongoing sustainable aspect. Um, you know, when you're in large cultural change initiatives like that, you know, you have to shut, make decisions like shutting down multi-billion dollar projects because somebody will make a decision. It has a huge consequence, obviously, on redundancies, and you're not the most popular person on the planet, so I've been slaughtered by the best of them um, as a change agent. Um, but, you know, that's part of the job that you do is to make those defining decisions to be able to make the change within the business. Um, so, and then you see so much money uh, going out the door with reference to coaches and consultants and uh, trainings and with um, very little ROI back into the business. Um, so I started questioning this whole area of sustainability, which sometimes gets collapsed into the whole corporate responsibility piece. So when I talk about sustainability, we're the first uh, global leadership provider um, providing sustainable transformation in the personal professional development area. Uh, I'm wanting to bring a level of unprecedented authenticity into the personal and professional development movement. Um, I've got an issue with looking good consultancy, looking good coaching. Uh, you know, you, you to me, you need to be walking your talk as much as what you're advocating. So it was September the 10th, and not realising what was going to be happening on September the 11th, I had a coffee at the base of the Trade Centre Towers. Uh, I also took a flight to Boston because um, I was relocating the program office from the Netherlands to Boston. And it was in that experience of being in America, every single airport was shut down. It was kind of like um, a real question around your own mortality. And... Um, so I decided uh, that I'd come back to New Zealand and that I would um, set up my own practice and focus on this whole uh, area of sustainability, not realising that I would develop all my own education. I'd also been a course junkie for 30 years, named a course, a CD, a book. I've read it, listened to it and been to it, always looking outside of myself for the answers, struggled to sustain the change. Uh, so it took about three three to four years um, of development and that's actually when I met you, Gian, with uh, reference to working with Matt Church and his thought leadership community uh, and extrapolated out all my uh, intellectual property and have been operating pretty much for the last 13 years in specifically in the leadership space. Uh, it's beyond a passion. I think Matt Church turns it obsession <laughs> um, because I genuinely care. I care that if you're going to invest money to change, let's make sure it's sustainable. Yeah, and I really love the, the two things that you mentioned there, the two themes running through everything that you do, Sally, sustainability and authenticity, because, you know, I, I'm all about the future of leadership, and I think that's all about individual mastery and the ability for leaders to now get the value out of out of their people means that, A, they have to be authentic, and B, that's the only way you can really be sustainable, isn't it? You can't have a situation where, where leaders step out and then the team falls apart. Well, interesting you say that because the Evolve Leadership brand, we've gone through obviously a number of iterations with our branding over the years and we recently rebranded as Evolve Leadership and a number of reasons for that. One, I was tired of going into large organisations where the CEO would say to me, Sally, can you come in and sort out my people? But they weren't prepared to look at themselves and, you know, uh, without being offensive, you know, the fish does thing from the head down and... 
I wanted to create a brand that was solely focused at high-level leadership where, um, from my perspective, where they took, took more ownership of walking it such that it would then biosmosis infiltrate throughout the organization. So I talk about, as far as the point of differentiation, you know, I really do honor the other leadership service providers in the market. I'm a true believer in co-opetition, not competition. If we focus more on how can we could collaborate and support each other versus come from a scarcity consciousness or an insecurity consciousness around competition, it would be a very different world. Uh, so from my perspective, uh, I use an analogy of a three-legged stool, that uh, one leg of the stool is uh, the hard skills, the uh, traditional leadership that most leaders are beyond unconsciously competent in. Uh, second leg of the stool would be the subject matter expertise. Um, most leaders are unconsciously competent in their specific area of expertise. But the third leg of the stool, which is normally the soft skills, the right brain, the more experiential, um, kind of like in that woo-woo category, um, if we have the money, if we have the time, which is pretty much never, uh, that third leg of the stool is the key leg that's required for sustainability, which is all the mindset stuff. And a lot of the leaders that are attracted to the work that we do have tried everything else on the market, uh, both at a personal development level and a professional development level. And I just received this uh, yesterday from, um, I'm actually uh, keynoting in Las Vegas in May and launching again in the United States and Canada. And this was his feedback from yesterday. He came and attended one of our three-day retreats at that leadership level. Um, so over a long career, I have literally spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on conferences, professional training, coaching, courses on self-improvement. This has included some of the most widely known to be um, to be some of the best, uh, Anthony Robbins, Stephen Coey, uh, Dennis Wheatley, uh, Dan Millman, and the list goes on. I can categorically and unequivocally tell you that Sally has uh, got the goods, my friends. Her program was the best I have ever attended. It was filled with real life content, tools, techniques, which actually work. They will actually see you transform your life, not just provide you with the short-term euphoric feelings for a few days until it wears off. So from my perspective, um, just off the back of that, what I love is that um, working with people who are already highly trained, uh, that have been there and done that, because they are all wanting to understand why they haven't achieved the level of transformation that they want, and they also want to know why they can't sustain it. That's where we come in. So it's really interesting because you're talking about people who kind of have a want for it. So I reckon, Sally, you probably come across so many people who have a need for it but don't realize that they that they actually do have that need. And as you know, there's a big difference between people who need it and want it. Do you, do you often bump up against senior <laughs> leaders who've kind of got, got by with those, as you say, the hard skills and the expertise and they're unconsciously competent in them but don't recognize the value of the soft skills, the third leg of the stool? Love it, love it. So part of the course commitment that we have in the three-day leadership retreats that we run, which we've been running off and on for the last seven years, um, part of the course commitment is that you don't share what actually happens on the program. Mm -hmm. And the two two key points of difference. One, uh, the privacy and the confidentiality of what occurs, I believe, the alchemical nature and the power of the program is due to that confidentiality. You know, leaders uh, deserve that. You know, they deserve that level of, of confidentiality considering it's not something that is um, mainstream to look at themselves to that degree, especially to the degree that we advocate in these programs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing. Two, uh, they're not used to, they're used to going to programs and the company paying. So part of our, our stand is you can't send me 10 people. Um, it has to be a 50-50, 80-20 split. There's got to be some investment by the individual because they need to want the experience it can't be done to them, otherwise it's not going to work and it's certainly not going to be sustainable. So 
that's a different value proposition from that standpoint. But I also believe we can't sell what we do. It's a complete resonance and very clear enough for everyone. Uh, so from that standpoint, we sell human awareness to people who aren't aware, wondering why they don't get it. Because until they experience it, they actually don't know they want it or need it. So it's a bit tricky to package it up because we're not a linear product. And I was working with a young president's organization um, in Australia and have done a number of uh, retreats with billionaires and millionaires and so forth. And they referred me into a particular retreat that I led a number of years back in Tasmania. And their feedback to me was, Sally, all of the facilitators that we've um, met in Australia, we took a huge risk booking you. Had we have known it was going to be as challenging as it has been, we would we would not have in our right mind ever have booked you. Mm. Having experienced you, it's the best retreat we've ever had in eight years, and if this is evidence for taking a risk, we need to take more risks. So the difficulty from our perspective is that if we were a linear product, it would be far easier to sell, uh, and it would be far more quantifiable. So I had somebody recently who came out of the retreat and said to me, Sally, you know, your material and or your website doesn't reflect truly what it is that you do. And I said, um, you've been through the experience, so how do you describe an experience that you can't describe unless you've experienced it? And she said, I hear you. (laughs) (laughs) So part of the seduction or intrigue or um, uh, that we're trying to create is out of respect for the work that we're doing uh, and also for the individual, uh, it's like um, the radio needs to be on. Like I use an analogy of when you're driving in the car, you don't listen to the static. You actually try and quickly tune into the music. A lot of people don't know what their music is, and there's a lot of human static that they're actually listening to. You know, we were born into it, born connected, born fearless, and then we forgot. So, you know, the education that we provide, the one synonymous thing that is unique to every single person that we come across at the leadership level is that we're all human. There's just certain things that come with the human territory. So the ability to be able to, in three days, pretty much um, you know, 10, 20, 30 years of preconditioning within a three-day period, there's really nothing on the market that can infiltrate that in a way where the individual, because they're already highly trained, they already know the answers, they're just not applying it beyond what I term the default identity, which is also something that we specialize in. I feel a bit like a, a Bill Gates waiting to go off what I've got, that I've identified the key missing in uh, pretty much every education curriculum on the planet with reference to why do people not sustain change. If a human, it just comes with the territory. But moment by moment by moment, we're in one of two states. We're either in an empowered state one minute or a disempowered state the next. And as external circumstances occur, we automatically have a tendency as humans to default into this disempowered state. So we have default-default-based cultures. We have default-default-based organizations. And most relationships are default, default based. Somebody's disempowered, triggering somebody else, they're disempowered. So I'm standing for power, power based cultures. Given my cultural change background, I'm probably one of the most highly trained cultural change agents in Australasia. Um, so the ability to be able to go back into organizations off the back of developing the education, which has been tried and proven over the last 13 years, to be able to focus on the area that I believe a lot of people are, are now interested in. They're wanting to, to experience something different that has tangible return. Okay, and you said something, in fact, you said it twice, and I don't want to gloss over that. You said that we're born fearless, and you said we, we already know the answers. Tell me more about that. Well, I call it the authentic self. So, you know, we're, when we were born, you know, there's certain, uh, it's like when a CEO says to me, Sally, why, when you come to see me about my business, are you talking to me about my childhood? Mm-hmm. I go, well, 
um, are you human? And I go, yep, okay, good. Or when somebody says to me, Sally, how can you possibly come into my industry when you don't understand my industry? I said, have you got people in the industry? Have you got humans in the industry? I said, I, I specialize in human-to-human psychosis, you know, how, how people interact with each other. More often than not, sadly to say, especially at the executive level, it's quite disempowering. So being able to train people that, uh, because again, it comes with the human territory, belief and values are adopted in childhood. They then form the behaviours that we have in life. Uh, this normally comes from teachers, environment, parents, siblings, uh, that forms our um, the structures that we place in life, that then forms the culture, that then forms the results. So if you're wanting any level of sustainable change, first of all, you need to shift people experientially, just not at a head level, and you need to go back to the original wiring, as it were, um, that we adopted in childhood. So I find it hilarious when I've been on panels or been interviewed uh, for executive or leadership coaching where they've actually stipulated, you know, you can go anywhere else, but you're not allowed to talk about the past with our leaders. I'm going, well, don't go anywhere near me. <laughs> because, you know, if the dysfunctionality, if you think about it, if each individual has an individual default identity that they don't even know about, then you've got a collective culture uh, at a default level that you're not even conscious of, and you achieve the results that you do. What on earth could you achieve if you actually realize the nuances of, you know, what, what I've unearthed? Um, and that's, pretty much what um, individuals uh, experience, uh, that if we were born fearless, born connected, born intuitive, uh, first of all, we're not listening to our intuition because we don't trust it because we're too busy listening to what I term human static. There's only four key things that disempower a human being. One is fear, two is the inner critic, three is these beautiful things we love feeding every day called issues, problems and challenges, and fourth is confusion. Um, I ban my clients hanging out in confusion because a sign of a good coach is that you never answer a question. You facilitate a conversation with an individual to answer their own question. They always do 100% of the time. So everybody has the answers, um, but they abdicate responsibility to actually answer their own questions because they don't trust that intuitive insight. And you know, there's a difference between in being in the zone as a you know a buzzword within leadership, but it's like instead of having moments of being in the zone, what would it be like to live in the zone? Uh, which is part of what I train people in with reference, uh, train leaders in with reference to what I term equanimous leadership or co-creative leadership. Who you are in your human form is limited, who you are in your co-creative form is limitless. So all of our, who we are as an adult, we've got a lot of little boys and little girls running businesses, Gihan, little, little boys, little girls running our relationships, undistinguished. Because whenever you are in a disempowered state, you have either the the unhealed wounds from your childhood running in your present state. Most people have their past and their future. Their thought structures are either future-based or past-based. They're hardly ever in the now moment. So being, and especially, you know, I don't, I don't buy into stress. I don't buy into overwhelm. Um, you know, I operate, I walk my talk with reference to, you know, operating from a co-creative perspective, uh, which is part of what my next book's about, uh, wanting to bring um, a whole uh, trajectory into leadership uh, with reference to, um, and everything that I write about is, you know, because when you talk to an executive about a, who normally is quite addicted to stress or addicted to overwhelm, um, it's quite an interesting conversation to have because it's such a foreign concept to actually, well, what would my life look like if I didn't actually tolerate those two states, you know? It's a little bit scary, isn't it? Because, as you say, the executive's so addicted to it and it's almost a badge of honor that they're working 80 to hours hours weeks. Yeah. And uh, it, it's a little bit scary to go, well, if you didn't have to do that, what would you have left? Yeah, and like in our last uh, retreat that we ran here in December, um, we had 
I mean, a cross-section of people in the room, and it always uh, amuses me, you know, the, the cross-section of people, so not amuses me, but astounds me, really, the cross-section of people that uh, this education attracts. We had somebody who'd worked with the Rothschilds and, you know, had been a, a investment banker for billionaires, and he's based in Geneva, Switzerland, happens to now be one of the most uh, high-profile healers. He's worked with some of the masters around the world, and uh, he was interested in... Uh, our education. Uh, we're probably one of the few coaching organizations globally that are advocates for healing and coaching to get full reintegration. Healing is also something, probably the languaging of healing doesn't land well in a corporate environment. But again, you've got human beings in an environment and a lot of them don't realize how unhealed they are and how, how much the past is in their future and the way in which they conduct themselves. Uh, I've got no interest in, in dragging up a past-based conversation, but I do have an interest in going in I've got certain processes that are very intentional to uh, be able to land for the individual what's truly going on, to be able to understand how that is pretty much sabotaging what it is that they're doing, um, to be able to take their power back in a sustainable way. Um, now, the transformation that occurs, um, you know, if you haven't done enough work on this thing that I call the default, you'll end up sabotaging it. People who aren't used to, who've gone from being an executive who's used to being stressed to not being, or an executive that's uh, used to drama and then not being. I mean, those are two completely different identities. And so, you know, a lot of leaders, uh, they may have done a lot of work in what I'd term the more traditional leadership space, but they haven't done the inner work um, as a generalization um, in, a, in a way that has, A, been that transformative and, B, sustainable. Right, right. And uh, you mentioned the whole idea of co-creative leadership um, a few times, Sally, and I've read a little bit about what you've written about it, but it seems fundamental to to the transformation of leadership around the world. Yeah. Well, the statement I made before that we as human beings, where we operate is very limited because predominantly it's in our um, constrained within the construct of what we think. Whereas when we access what I term your co-creative ability, uh, what you can access is limitless. So the other thing was reference to the corporate market, uh, which is what I'm really going to be spelling out in my next book, um, is this, uh, it, you know, any terminology like religion or spirituality or any of that kind of like woo-woo thing on the side, it's, it's just a repellent within the corporate market. Uh, but from my perspective, the languaging of co-creative seems to be a laymanized term that seems to, I can have a conversation with uh, any leader, have done for many years, because if you listen to somebody that can handle a conversation, they can. If you listen to somebody that, that they can't, they won't. Um, so I trust that uh, if, your, if your beliefs are, you know, I've coached everybody from every sect, religion, spiritual belief, you, known to man. Uh, I don't care what you call it so long as you hook into it. I say to CEOs, do you know what it's like vacuuming? Not many of them vacuum, but I use it as an analogy. Do you know what it's like to vacuum when you haven't plugged it in and turned it on? It's a bit tricky. But, you know, you're living your life like that. And... Uh, so training leaders on how to experience uh, that connection is uh, part of uh, the whole co-creative realm. Obviously, you need to experience it before you can actually leverage it. So some of the nuances, uh, as a transformation agent, the three key areas that most human beings avoid is uh, feelings of confrontation, resistance, and or uncomfortability. Yet, most people get off the court at that point. Yet, uh, as a change agent, training training people to be able to go to that which confronts you, that which makes you uncomfortable, that which uh, you're resistant of, is where the true transformation is to be experienced. So in the context of the work that we do, even in these three-day experiences, we 
uh, definitely go to every area that confronts you, makes you uncomfortable, has you feel resistant, um, and actually get a sense of humour uh, because it's ludicrous what we tolerate. Uh, the the uh, ability to transform lies in what's beyond that. So I live in shoes every day that are confronting with this and uncomfortable. So I live on the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> I'm a bit of an extremist, mm. uh, and which is why most people would love to you know, intervene a strip into my week because I I am able to accomplish far more from what I turn to being the state of leadership versus doing leadership. One of the, one book that I recommend to a lot of executives over the years has been Synchronicity in the Path to Leadership, Joseph Jaworski's book. Uh, about his journey, about how he set up the American Leadership Forum and the being the state of leadership versus doing leadership. And um, so the being the state of leadership, you know, doing things from a being the state versus doing things from a doing the state. So when you're when you're trying to do something from a doing the state, you're disconnected. Struggle, anxiety, pressure, overwhelm, hard. When you're doing something from a being the state is where you access, um, you become a conduit to attract synchronistic opportunities to come to you. You're in flow. Things happen with ease. Most leaders have moments of that, but they don't live there. And part of the whole co-creative realm is training leaders on, and I have a self-interest and a sense of urgency to reach as many leaders uh, as possible, considering the benefit that leaders have experienced. Um, and you know, if we're not changing uh, the way the existing education system works on the planet, we're not evolving as a human race. So uh, designing this brand to uh, focus on high-level leadership is to be able to have leaders actually realize that there actually is another way. We're not a plethora of answers to everything, but in the traditional leadership space, it's what I term one to three dimensional thinking. Uh, the education that we've developed is accessing the realm of fourth, fifth dimension and beyond, which is limitless from that standpoint. So I know we've got a limited time on the call today, um, but uh, the, the key areas from my perspective as far as uh, whether you call it co-creative leadership or equanimous leadership, mm-hmm. equanimity is my favorite word, uh, that ability to be able to observe uh, versus be reactionary. Um, and sadly to say, you know, the majority of people, all of human suffering is a function of what we make things mean. And being able to elevate leaders uh, through their awareness, the power of awareness-based training, to be able to sustain operating at a high level of consciousness, being able to perform at a level that's unprecedented is something that um, is my life mission, really. Mm. Okay, so this whole idea of co-creative, does that mean that both parties have to be at the same level or can a leader lead? Well, you know, I, I, And I can imagine that it doesn't matter which party is, is the leader. So the word co-creative, you're a creative being accessing um, it's like the national grid, right? It's like it's like electricity. Like plug in and turn it on. Mm-hmm. I'm not attached to what you call it, higher power, universal force, collective consciousness, God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I respect what each person believes. Um, I've converted many people to believing, <laughs> even in the face of their cynicism and so forth. And you know that's actually where the healing comes in. You know, for for a for a um, average company to consider, I was coaching up with the 70, sorry, 85 senior consultants in a franchise company um, a number of years back. And the, the degree to which they endorsed my education, they adopted the retreats as part of the prerequisite training. They uh, were open to their people, which is revolutionary, to actually um, do the healing and the coaching together to get the full reintegration. But that was very, very um, different for an organization to consider. It was a case study that I ran. Um, the, the results were extraordinary. Um, but in the early stages of, well, what is this thing called healing? What is this? You know, it's like... Um, the the whole concept is very, very foreign, and yet 
you know, from a human perspective, uh, which is what I'm interested in, you know, as a creative being, what you can tap into, it's like winning lotto, but you haven't tapped into the winning. And it's available 24-7 and it's free. And being able to really ground, because I do believe that there are a lot of practitioners who are, are a bit eerie-theory in that space, whereas I'm very tangible around results and very tangible about measurement and very tangible about even in the face of cynicism and skepticism, you will produce results. Um, so being able to work with leaders to actually give them an experience beyond the constraint of what they currently know or what they've currently experienced. Um, and a lot of that has to do with them trusting their intuition. Um, if you know, if you're in a stage of you know, um, in any given moment, uh, is that my intuition, or you know, should I trust it? You know, you this whole default mechanism that that hinders you from being able to access uh, that connection is um, part of you know part of what I facilitate for leaders to experience, because it's difficult for people to experience it um, just by you know thinking about it in a headspace. So you said uh, earlier on, Sally, that you said that when when people are challenged that uh, in an organisation that generally starts from the top, does this whole process of co-creative leadership start from the top as well? So my target market is uh, high-level leadership. So I uh, predominantly work with CEO level the last seven years. I uh, predominantly work uh, only with executive teams, so they're always at the height of the organisation. Uh, because we specialise in leadership development, cultural change, um, the first port of call is being able to have them experience uh, these. We normally do a one day, we go into an organization and I do one day is eight hours of live coaching. So anything at me, any place, anytime, anywhere on anything, any issues. Uh, I obviously get a blueprint from the organization prior as to some of the issues that they have uh, or there's a questionnaire given to the people who are attending. Um, and witnessing that level of transformation live uh, gives them, it's kind of like an entree, gives them a taste of the style of engagement. Then we consider uh, the, we take 10 to, we actually call them evolved three-day leadership advances. The Seth Godden term uh, in the military, a retreat is when you retreat back uh, versus an advance is where you advance forward. So we've actually reframed the terminology of the three-day retreats to a three-day advance. Mm-hmm. And um, it's in that, it, it's in that three days that the executive team experiences, instead of just talking co-creative leadership, how do you experience it? And so... Uh, and because it's, it's private and confidential and they're able to access that uh, level of vulnerability, Brene Brown's a prime example. She is did one TED talk on vulnerability and shame, which is a topic most corporates wouldn't go anywhere near. She's now one of the top keynote speakers in Fortune 500 companies around the world. Um, I, I believe the world is changing. You know, They're wanting to look at aspects at, from a human perspective because nine, about 7 billion people on the planet and the majority are disassociated. And they're not even conscious to that. We're not present to the cost. I train people to stop tolerating what's not working for you. You know, what would your what would your organisation look like if you tolerated if you didn't tolerate anything that wasn't working? That would be a very different organisation. That comes back to who you're being within the organisation, and especially if you're the head of the organisation. Um, so you, you know, it's almost like you're giving somebody a magic wand, and then there's scepticism about, well, is that possible? I go, yeah, it is but you have to experience it before you can be an advocate for it. Okay, and uh, you've mentioned a couple of times that, you, that you've that you got this book coming out, so I'd, I'd love you to talk about that because that's, some way, that's one way that people can get access to you, Sally. And you also, I know you've got, you really have got a world tour, um, so you're making yourself available to as many people as possible to take advantage of some of these ideas. Um, tell us a little bit more about both those things, the book and the three-day advances that you're running. Sure, so... 
Um, just for your listeners, um, there's a free ebook on our website, which is www.evolvedleadership.com.au. Uh, our website's going through a complete reinvention between now and the end of January. Uh, there's a cross-section of videos on that website at the moment, so they can feel free to um, go and watch those videos. But there's an ebook uh, which is entitled 25 Ways to Evolve Your Leadership Capability. And these are 25 points that in every cultural change initiative that I did globally, uh, these are the 25 points that in every organization were uh, dysfunctional. So uh, I, the value in that ebook, uh, at the back of the ebook, there is a, um, a grid that where you can mark your organization out of 250 points. Once I can fill in the uh, grid, I say if you're, if you're over uh, 200, you're in pretty good shape. If you're under 200, you might want to talk. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of value in that ebook. Um, as far as the co-creative age is concerned, I wrote a book a number of years back called uh, Free for Living Life Beyond the Edge. Uh, so uh, that particular book was the first foray into um, aspects of the education. Uh, our organization was called uh, Free for International, Sally Anderson International, which has now morphed into Evolved Leadership. But the leadership book uh, that I'm writing is, um, I'm excited about. I've done a lot of research globally into um, the one book that I uh, spent a lot of time researching is a Spiritual Audit of Corporate America and fascinating uh, findings in that book. So I'm wanting to uh, be able to uh, normalize the conversation in a way that is digestible for the leadership market, uh, that they are able to uh, grasp these pretty much intangible concepts. Um, as I said before, you know, you're selling human awareness to people who are unaware and what wondering why they're not getting it, because until they experience it, they don't know they want it or need it. Mm. So trying to uh, take an intangible into a tangible is my opportunity (laughs) with uh, this particular book. Uh, My stand is that the book is released in 2016 uh, and that it elevates uh, and provides a different value proposition for the leadership market. We in no way, shape or form wish to be um, viewed as competitors to existing leadership providers. If anything, we are a great adjunct uh, for that third leg of the stool that we talk about to complement, you know, the existing uh, traditional leadership market. Um, so the nuances of that particular book, it's called The Co-Creative Age. We're in the information age now. I believe the next age is The Co-Creative Age, um, that there is a need to elevate leadership beyond this, what I term one to three-dimensional thinking, um, the next evolutionary phase in leadership. Uh, I have a passion around uh, establishing co-creative schools, co-creative universities, uh, something as fundamental, Gihan, um, is mastery of the inner critic. To be human is to have an inner critic. It annihilates human potential, and yet nobody talks about it. To have mastery of the inner critic in the schooling system, you wouldn't realize the amount of uh, leaders that I work with who are predominantly between the age of 40 and 70, and the majority have very, very powerful inner critics. They have no, you know, and if they accomplish what they accomplish with that uh, negative, destructive voice, what on earth could they accomplish if? They weren't knew how to silence it. We're the only provider on the planet that teaches people how to completely master their inner critic so that they can reaccess their intuitive voice. Um, there are a lot of providers on the market that teach you how to manage it, coordinate yourself around it, but not actually silence it completely and how to master that 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 particular area. Um, that's a whole tangent. <laughs> so I'm not going to go off on that tangent. But um, there's elements to the human realm that isn't being addressed within the leadership market. Uh, it comes with the human territory, and this is what fits into that third leg of the stool. There are nuances that come with the human territory, and until you understand that, uh, you can't take your power back in a sustainable way to be able to transcend it. 
So we're excited. We're about to launch um, internationally again. We're uh, doing a large uh, keynote in Las Vegas, and we're setting up uh, two back-to-back evolved three-day leadership advances in Las Vegas. Uh, given what, that we're up on that side of the world, we're, uh, I have one of my certified leadership coaches up in uh, Ottawa in Canada. So we're launching two back-to-back um, evolved leadership advances in Canada. And we're opening up Gold Coast this year, over and above Sydney and Melbourne, and then uh, also uh, London at the end of the year. So I'm excited about the exposure of the education, uh, that uh, 99.9% of people who hear about the education um, hear about it through referral of somebody who's experienced it. Uh, we only take 10 people per advance. Uh, it is very intimate. Uh, intimacy is a fascinating realm within leadership uh, also, uh, not normally associated with the leadership realm. It's also an area that I specialize in, into the UC. How do you be that authentic within your leadership ability um, is something that's quite foreign to the majority of leaders. Um, so we're excited about the exposure of the education. Um, my intention is to uh, do a TED talk in 2016 to be able to uh, get exposure for the power of the education. Um, and have every intention to uh, be able to influence, um, you know, leaders, you know, at the level of the United Nations. Um, I have some pretty big um, goals for myself, there, Gihan, and uh, yeah, it's a very, very exciting opportunity next year. Yeah, sounds like it. So that's, that's fantastic, Sally. And you've already given us your website, so it's evolvedleadership.com.au, and I uh, highly recommend anyone goes there, downloads the ebook, which is a very generous offer that you've got there, Sally, and, and gets in touch. I wish you all the best, Sally. Uh, your goal to change the planet and transform the planet is one that um, there are very few people that I feel confident could achieve that, and you're definitely one of them. Thank you very much. That's high praise coming from a man of your caliber. And thanks so much for, for you, for your wisdom, your insights and your experience. So isn't that an inspiring and new and different vision for the future? Now, if you'd like to get Sally's book, The Co-Creative Age, then you can visit her website at evolvedleadership.com.au. And yes, that is a .com.au because Sally also works in Australia as well as New Zealand and worldwide as well. I love working with Sally on her book. As I said, this is part of my business book in a box service where I can help you become a published author. And if you've ever thought about that, uh, let me just tell you a little bit about it and then I'll refer you to my website. See, I meet so many leaders and experts who've got amazing knowledge and great ideas and a wealth of wisdom that's grown from insights and experience and that they could share all this with the world and they want to package it up in a book, but they think that it's too much hard work to write a book. And actually, it is. Most people aren't good writers, but then why should you be? It's like me, I like good graphic design, but I don't have any graphic design skills at all. So if there's anything more complex than creating nice PowerPoint slides, I outsource the work to an expert. And it's the same with Business Book in a Box. We take your ideas, your material and your words, and we do all the heavy lifting of doing the writing for you. So I interview you first to get your ideas out of your head and then hand it over to my team to do the transcribing, the writing, the editing and everything else that goes along with the book. The layout, the proofreading, the cover design, getting an ISBN for you and so on. So if you want to find out more, visit businessbookinabox.com or send me an email at gihan at gihanperera.com and we can talk more about it. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and found something valuable for your personal and your professional life that will help you become fit for the future. And if you did get some value from it, I'd really appreciate it if you could do me a favor and give me a review and a rating on iTunes because that helps promote it to other people as well. And if you want me to share ideas like this at your next conference, 
then check out my speaking at gihanspeaks.com, G-I-H-A-N-S-P-E-A-K-S.com. And if you want to engage with me in other ways, uh, go to gihanperera.com, G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A.com. And there you can find my blog, my newsletter, podcast, videos, and my webinar series. They're all free, and they're all designed to help you become fit for the future. This is Gihan Pereira. Bye for now. For show notes, past episodes, and more, visit gihanperera.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.